industrial accidents, ancient Solving poisoners, crime, poison prevention. Spills. This is Toxic History. Dr. Alan Wolfe is the Associate Chief Medical Education Officer at Boston Children's Hospital and a professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. He's a past president of both the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology and the American Association of Poison Control Centers. Dr. Wolfe's contributions to medicine, toxicology, and pediatrics are frankly too numerous to mention, but I will say this, his recent book, History of Modern Clinical Toxicology, is amazing and a must-read for anyone interested in history of toxicology. I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Alan Wolfe, who will be talking to you about the Chicago Tylenol murders. Now, this is the 40th anniversary in October of the Chicago Tylenol murders, um, and it's still an unsolved mystery, and we're going to take a little journey through it this afternoon. First of all, I just want to remind you of some definitions uh, that are um, widely used in the codex um, and federal regulations. One is excipients. Excipients are any inactive ingredient or substance that's intentionally added to a drug that's not part of the active ingredient. Um, and there's a whole FDA inactive ingredient database, or the IID. Uh, these excipients are usually pharmacologically inactive and non-toxic. They serve as stabilizers, antimicrobials, help the body absorb the active ingredient, They're used for flavorings, a dilutant, a coloring agents, a preservative or anti-caking agents, as opposed to contaminants, um, which are in the code of Federal Regulations Title 21, contaminants are a naturally occurring poisonous or deleterious substance and inherent natural consistent con uh, constituent of a food or an added poisonous and deleterious substance. That is the result of environmental, agricultural, industrial, or other source of a poisonous or deleterious substance. Adulteration happens during processing with pathogens, chemicals, allergens, foreign objects, and other substances so that the food is no longer wholesome or safe. And finally, adulterants are either intentionally or unintentionally added to food and they're not on the product's label. In the case of a substance that is not an added substance, such food shall not be considered adulterated under this clause if the quantity of such substance does not ordinarily render it injurious to health. For example, as Peter discussed, a pesticide, a food additive, a color additive, uh, or a new animal drug. These, this bar graph goes in the opposite direction. So 2015 is to the right and 2020 is to the left. But just this gives you an idea of the extent of the over-the-counter sales industry in the United States. About $400 per household per year are spent on over-the-counter products, um, a $36.5 billion industry. So uh, back in the late September of 1982, uh, there was a Sentinel case, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman who lived in Elk Grove Village, uh, went into her parents' home and complained that she had a sore throat uh, and um, a fever. She went into their room. Um, they gave her some extra strength Tylenol to take. 
uh, she went into the bathroom um, and took the extra strength Tylenol. Um, they heard a bump in the bathroom and went to explore and they found her comatose in the bathroom, still in her pajamas. She was immediately transported to the hospital, but she died um, pretty much at the scene. And she was originally diagnosed as having had a rare pediatric stroke, and that's what killed her. However, within a day or two, um, Adam Janus, um, who was a postal worker who lived in Arlington Heights. Remember, she lived in Elk Grove Village, which is a uh, suburb of Chicago near O'Hare Field, Arlington Heights, not too far away. Um, he took uh, Tylenol for his headache at home and he died. While they thought that he had a massive myocardial infarction, um, they started to make arrangements for his funeral uh, with sudden death. Uh, and uh, two of uh, his relatives, Stanley Janus and Teresa Janus, were helping out the family and preparing for the funeral. They lived in Lyle, Illinois. Uh, they both had headaches from the stress of this untimely and unexpected death of um, their cousin, Adam. And so they both took extra strength Tylenol uh, and they died as well. That's when people started to get suspicious that there was something going on here. And uh, in the meantime, there were three other deaths. Uh, Paula Prince, who had come on an overnight flight from Las Vegas to Chicago, had a headache, uh, went to her condominium in Chicago and took Tylenol uh, and died there. Mary McFarlane, who was an Illinois bell worker who lived in Elmhurst, took uh, Tylenol. And Mary Reiner, um, living in, Wake, uh, in Winfield, a uh, city about 25 or 30 miles west of Chicago also took Tylenol and they all died. It's interesting when the first responders uh, went to the Janus's home uh, when Stanley and Teresa had died, they found extra strength Tylenol a bottle um, right near them. Um, and they suspected that it was the Tylenol. This was the first suspicion that Tylenol was at fault. Uh, they didn't know what caused it. And uh, so they actually called the Rocky Mountain Poison Center um, and talked with the toxicologist there to see what this might be due to. And he told them, well, um, it could be um, methylene sulfide. Um, and they said there's no evidence that there was any gas nearby these unrelated deaths. And he said, you know, the other thing it could be with a uh, drop attack like that is cyanide. So it turns out that um, these capsules were contaminated with cyanide. And um, some of the first responders also smelled that bitter almond smell that's characteristic, uh, but not always diagnostic of um, a death due to cyanide poisoning. Uh, but these were all, uh, as it turned out, poisonings from potassium cyanide. As you'll all recall, um, potassium cyanide is a cellular asphyxium. It inactivates mitochondrial cytochrome oxidase A3. It disrupts the electron transport chain. It disrupts calcium utilization, other enzyme systems. 
it especially there are exquisitely sensitive neurons to potassium cyanide um, in the uh, brainstem at the respiratory center. So that knockdown effect of um, depressed respirations and uh, respiratory failure um, is what heralds the sudden death. They analyzed unopened capsules of the other unopened uh, other um, Tylenol extra strength capsules, uh, and they also retrieved um, others from pharmacy shelves uh, that had not been opened yet, um, and they detected potassium cyanide inside the capsules at massive amounts, 500 to 600 milligrams, a lethal dose 100% in humans is somewhere around 100 to 200 milligrams of potassium cyanide. So uh, this was in all cases a lethal amount. Um, when it became apparent that these seven deaths were related to Tylenol in Chicago, there was a massive media response. It went out all over the country and immediately McNeil Pharmaceuticals, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, recalled over 31 million capsules of Tylenol valued at more than $100 million um, back in 1982. That was a lot of money back then. <laughs> the pharmacies pulled all Tylenol from the shelves. Their market share, which uh, they were uh, quite um, prominent in the United States, McNeil Pharmaceuticals, went from 37% to less than 7% within a month. Um, and it was estimated they, they simply lost millions of dollars due to these murders. The media called this pharmaceutical terrorism. There were 15 law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, that were activated and involved in the investigation. More than 100 detectives. Um, they did do surveillance um, at pharmacies in the Chicago area. Uh, they found, uh, they went and looked and saw if they could identify the potassium cyanide. There were more than 65 sources of potassium cyanide in the Chicago area. They looked at its chemical signature as to other impurities in the potassium cyanide and found uh, that its signature of 30 different trace contaminants that they measured to parts per billion ruled out Germany and Great Britain. Uh, that the cyanide was manufactured by DuPont, a uh, chemical company in the United States. Um, specifically, the lots that seemed to be involved were two lots, one produced in Pennsylvania of the Tylenol and the other one produced in Texas. So it was thought that this was a contamination or an adulteration that didn't occur at the manufacturing plants for the Tylenol, but occurred after they had been shipped to Chicago and were on the shelves. And they theorized that somebody had gone to the shelves, removed the bottles, uh, substituted the capsules containing potassium cyanide for other capsules and returned the bottles to the shelves as random attacks, so-called pharmaceutical terrorism. So there was surveillance set up um, throughout the Chicagoland area. Um, and in fact, um, uh, some of the FBI agents contacted Bob Green. Bob Green was a columnist, a very prominent columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. 
and uh, they asked him to publicize Mary Kellerman's um, gravestone where she was buried and her home in one of his columns in 1983. And then they set up a 24 hour surveillance of the gravesite and her home, uh, looking at all passersby because the psychological profiling of uh, mass killers was that they often will go back to the scene or get some vicarious gratification after revisiting their victims' uh, environments. And this was unproductive. They never found a culprit. They never found the murder. Uh, this gentleman, James William Lewis, was um, uh, in with his wife in St. Louis. He was an accountant um, who was convicted of extortion of some of his clients that he was an accountant for. Um, and they uh, he had sent several letters to Johnson & Johnson demanding a million dollars or the killings will continue, in quotes. And he admitted to writing those extortion notes, but he never intended to collect. He denied any cyanide or involvement of Tylenol murders. He actually did go to prison for 13 years for mail fraud in Kansas City, um, where he was uh, suspected of murders there, not only an accountant who extorted people, but also murdered some. Um, but he was never um, convicted of the Tylenol murders. In fact, Boston police collected his DNA on a court order in Cambridge in 2007, where his wife, he and his wife were living, uh, but nothing really came of that either. So they, although they had persons of interest, they never found the murder. They even for a while suspected Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, um, who had committed several crimes in the Chicago area before he moved west, uh, but he denied any uh, work in cyanide and they could really never pin it on him. These are some tips uh, back after this happened. Uh, there was a lot of public hysteria. Um, the pharmaceutical companies uh, gave out some tips that consumers could do if they suspected um, their over-the-counter product was tampered. Um, did the tablets have any different color or taste? Were they moist instead of dry? Were the capsules cracked or dented? Um, was the imprinting missing on some, et cetera? So uh, there was some public education that came out about this. And what uh, McNeil Pharmaceuticals did was they reinvented Tylenol. They spent over $100 million on new packaging, including what you see now on over-the-counter products, metal foil seals, cotton inserts, shrink-wrapped packages, blister packs. Uh, McNeil gave out free samples of the new Tylenol. They created a new product called the Caplet with a hard shell that was much more difficult to tamper with. And uh, they started a market campaign. They gave these caplets out uh, free and um, really tried marketing to regain the public's trust. And in fact, it worked. A year later, they were from 7% to 30% market share. Um, and this case study is uh, used in business schools today uh, as a case example of a company that employed business ethics, did the right thing, and actually won back its market share. 
also in aftermath uh, from this uh, Tylenol murder episode. Um, this even came after the Poison Prevention Packaging Act, which um, produced child-resistant containers. Uh, there was another federal bill called the Tylenol bill that required labeling changes. It required tamper-proof packaging, blister packs, packs caplets, gel caps, um, and an updated uh, drug facts label ordered by the FDA in 1999, required more uniform, easier to read and understand labels, uh, new drug facts boxes for information on the drug's intended uses, the active ingredients, the direction of use and warnings and so forth. So in summary, we're at the 40th anniversary um, and uh, this is to remember those seven poor souls, Mary Kellerman, um, the Janices and the others um, who were killed randomly by this murder, um, but their deaths were not in vain. They changed product uh, marketing and product packaging and labeling um, that has protected all of us for the past 40 years. Thank you for this presentation. This is one of the chapters uh, in the book.